0: Welcome to the Anchor Church Podcast. We are so glad you're here. For more content and upcoming events, visit anchorchurchcsra.com. All right, friends, let's dive in together. Matthew chapter 5, we're going to have the verses up on the screen, and today's title is Living Blessed in the Kingdom. Living Blessed in the Kingdom. And while you're flipping to the Gospel of Matthew, that's the first book in the New Testament, the very first one. And so... As you're getting there, I want to just tell you how excited I am for this series, guys. I mean, this is anything that you can think of Jesus saying it, <laughs> and we remembering it, and we, and we quote all these things, Jesus said, a lot of it comes from this sermon. This is his longest recorded sermon that we have in the Bible. He surely preached others, and we don't have the entire transcript of the sermon. This doesn't mean that Jesus preached a 10-minute sermon, on a on a hillside but what it what it is is it is everything that we need to know you can think about these as the holy cliff notes of his sermon and so uh just so much power in in these words so today's title is living blessed let me just get a a little poll real quick this morning how many of you want to be blessed anybody all right great yeah me too i want to live a blessed life and I bet if I were to go around this morning and just ask everyone, are you blessed? Are you blessed? Are you blessed? I bet most of us would say, yeah, I don't always feel blessed. But I, if I had to just really give you an answer, yes, I am blessed. But I think, guys, I, unfortunately I have some bad news. I think we sometimes can misunderstand, especially in the southern United States, about what it means to be blessed and when we see the word blessed, we think of certain things. And I want to just put it up on the screen real quick, can I? Um, you know, this, is, this, is the, this is the Greek word for blessed. We're going to learn some Greek. We're just going to put it up there real quick, and then we're going to take it away, and we're going to um, comment on it later. But the, the Greek word is makarios. Makarios, and it means blessed, or what's that other word? Happy. Yeah, so it means to be happy. Now, we think of being happy as an emotion. I feel happy. I don't feel happy. It kind of comes and goes. But when this Greek word is talking about being blessed and happy, this isn't momentary. This is a word that we use in the English language and we get from the Greek language in the Bible called joy. Joy is ongoing. It's enduring. And so when we say living a blessed life, this is what we're talking about. We're not just talking about I have stuff, that's great, I'm blessed, but this is, a, this, this is a deep and inner joy. And so, living the blessed life. Hey, I wanna ask you something. Do you think the location of a conversation matters? The location of the conversation. If I asked you right now, I said, hey Garrett, let's go to my dining room table and have a chat, we We're just sit down and have a chat. The dining room table is gonna feel one way, but then if I said, hey Dylan, Let's go to my fire pit out back and let's have a chat. That's going to feel different than the dining room table, right? It's going to feel a little more relaxed, probably a little less formal because we're not in my dining room. We're not sitting in a wooden chair at a big wooden table. But if I said, hey, Asher, we're going um, to climb this mountain and we're going to go have a chat. That'd be quite different, wouldn't it? Than talking. Yeah, it'd be pretty fun. We should do that sometime. <laughs> you know, um, dining room table, fire pit mountain, different scenarios, different scenes require, uh, required for different conversations. And what Jesus does, he takes his disciples and the crowds were following him like crazy. People were following him around. Jesus was healing people. He started his ministry. It was very, very popular, very quick because people wanted to see what this guy could do. And, and he spoke with, the Bible tells us, he spoke with an authority that made people kind of perk up, that made them listen like, this guy doesn't teach like all the other rabbis. This guy's a little different. We're going to follow this guy. So he takes people up on this hill. And we're just going to show you a picture of the actual location in Israel. I have it in the uh, slides there, Savannah. Yeah, it's just... Now, when you think of a mountain, this is like, man, that's a really small mountain. (laughs) But really, it's more like a hillside. But it's still a mountain nonetheless. This is a sermon on the mount. And Jesus, in fact, God himself... He tells us important stuff on mountains. When else in the Bible did God do that? Let's see. Any, any guesses this morning? Hmm. That's right. The book of Exodus, right? The Ten Commandments. God, God, Moses goes up the mountain. God, uh, in, in, in this really intense scene, there, there's like this big storm. And, and God speaks from like this thundercloud. And, and he gives the Ten Commandments on these tablets. Moses comes down from the mountain. Moses is like a mediator. He stands in between the people and God. Moses is in between. He's the middleman. Jesus is, you can write this down in your notes if you're taking notes this morning, Jesus is the greater Moses. Moses was just supposed to be a picture of who Christ was always going to be, but even greater. uh, Jesus is the greater Moses. And there's so many things in the Gospel of Matthew that you see this in. I mean, I could literally take my whole sermon time just showing you. Here's where he was showing he's the greater Moses. Here's where he was showing that yeah, Moses was great. Jesus is greater. Um, John John chapter eight is another place where he says, "Hey, I man, you think Moses was great? I'm I'm greater than Moses. You think Abraham was cool? In fact, before Abraham was, I am. That's what he says in John eight fifty eight, and blew people's minds. So Jesus in this sermon, guys, Jesus is gonna mess with all of us. I don't mean that this is trivial or that Jesus is some kind of jokester. What I mean with it, what I mean by that is that Jesus is going to confront every one of us in some kind of way in a loving way that only God can really do with his truth. He's going to have you ever heard of like uh, you know getting in someone's grill like like in a loving way? You know what that means, right? You sit down and you have a tough conversation like, "Hey, I love you, but here's something hard we need to look at." For, for other moments in this sermon, he's going to really encourage you. He's going, to, he's going to have a shepherd's staff, and he's going to comfort you in some ways. So we're going to be encouraged. We're going to be challenged. But he preached on a kingdom-centered life. That's the subtitle of our series. And we sing about this kingdom. We, we just sang the words of the sermon this morning, the, the words of the passage we're going to go through. And we talk all the time about being kingdom-focused. But what does that really mean? Well, that's what this morning's all about. And so that's the intro, that's the setup for today. Jesus is gonna talk about this blessed life. Let's read the first couple of verses just to kind of get our feet wet, and then we're gonna dive in and just run through these B attitudes this morning, these, these uh, teachings from Jesus on how to be, how should we live in the kingdom. And so let's, let's read verses one and two together, ready? Here we go. When he saw the crowds, so I told you, crowds were following Jesus. He went up on the What? The mountain, okay, so they're there. We talked about that. And then after he sat down, see, teachers today, they stand up. I'm standing up right now. Um, It could be that if I was sitting here in one position talking to you guys, like in a chair or on a stool, it might not be engaging in our culture. It might be kind of boring because I'm just sitting still, but I'm walking around. I'm using my hands. You know, we have different ways of communicating nowadays. Jesus would have sat down to teach, and everyone would have gathered around. They, They would have sat down on the ground. Jesus would have sat down. And his disciples came to him. So this message is for the disciples, but it's also for the crowds. It's for everybody, to teach everyone how to live. And then he began to teach them, or some of your translations in your lap might, might say, he opened his mouth and began to teach them. That's significant because God was skin and bones on, Jesus Christ, God incarnate, the son of God, the eternal son of God is opening his mouth and teaching them in this in this, uh climactic moment, what it means to be blessed. And so let's take a look at the first one. There's several, I mean, there's actually eight different things that we're going, truths that we're really going to try to just take hold of this morning, okay? And here's the first one. We're we're going to put it up. We're going to give you a chance to write it down. We're going to talk about it a little bit. All right, the first one is this. Jesus is teaching us to delight in our spiritual bankruptcy apart from God's grace. All right, So I'm going to give you some time to just jot that down if you're taking notes. If you don't have a physical notebook, that's okay. You can pull out your phone and and get your thumbs warmed up and and write it right on your your notepad. I like taking notes. It helps me focus, but it also helps me come back to it later. And then, as we're all reminded, in our group time throughout the week, in our community group time, we're going to come back to uh, these Beatitudes this week, and we're going to talk about them, and we're going to dive into it uh, even deeper. So... Let's delight in our spiritual bankruptcy apart from God's grace. Now, uh, let me just ask another question. How many of you uh, think it's odd that we're talking about delighting in bankruptcy, like that those are in the same sentence? <laughs> like, this doesn't sound good. All right? Jesus, this isn't the best start to your sermon, right? Like, this is the first thing. But listen, listen to what he says. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. So like I said, Jesus is about to mess us up because he's going he's to turn everything we thought we knew on its head. This is what Jesus did so well. This is why, honestly, some people found Jesus so compelling and others it made them angry. They were like, what do you mean? And so... Blessed are the poor in spirit, the kingdom of heaven is there. So what is this spiritual bankruptcy? Can we can we put that back up there? What is is spiritual bankruptcy? Here's what spiritual bankruptcy says: I have no righteousness in myself. I am not good. In fact, I struggle to be good. And if all of us were honest, no matter how many times we had a chance to be good, like to get an A plus for the day on being good in our thoughts, our motives, and our actions, that we would try to do all the things we need to do, and try to um, to to try not to do the things we ought not do, but then also not to fail to do the things we should do. That's kind of the two sided coin of of sin, omission and commission. But no matter how hard we try, we we can't do it. In fact, the way the Bible puts it, the way Jesus put it, is that we're all like spiritual beggars telling another beggar where to find bread. That's how the Christian life has been described. Just a beggar telling another beggar where he can find food. And we're speaking spiritually, of course. We're desperate for spiritual food. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And that's why we open our Bibles, because God's word do something to our heart. They, his, his word does the work. And so this is a powerlessness in self. This is the opposite of our culture that says, hey, you can do it, man. You are self-sufficient. Uh, our culture wants us to be self-confident, wants us to be self-this and self-that. And I'm not saying that, that there's uh, no value in any sort of self-sufficiency on a basic level. I mean, we teach our... Kids at home, you know, if we say to the boys, we'll say, um, what's everybody want for breakfast? I want some peanut butter toast. All right, go, go make some toast. And we expect them to get the toaster out, plug it in, put bread in, put it down, put it up, spread peanut butter on there. I mean, they can all do that and they're nine, six, and four, because we want to teach them to uh, be able to do that sort of thing. So that when they turn 18 and go off to college, that it's not weird that they would be able to do their own laundry or make their own food. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a sense that I cannot do it alone. I need help. I need help. Help. God, I cannot do this life alone. Anybody with me this morning? I I can't do it. In fact, but spiritual bankruptcy is, Lord, I'm a sinner. I break your law all the time. You gave me, let's just take the Ten Commandments. I'm really struggling to hit those 10, let alone all the other commandments, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. Anybody nailing that perfectly throughout the week? Me neither. I can just focus on that one. And so, Lord, we can't do it, but you can. And so, again, how can these things characterize someone who is happy or blessed? I I thought this was supposed to be about being blessed. Well, the first step to being blessed is to acknowledge that we can't do it. It's acknowledging a need. Maybe just write that down this morning. God, help, help me. Maybe a good prayer for us this week. God, help me see my need for you. Help me see my need for you. Because we must need God before he can come in and be our Lord and Savior. We have to express a need for him. And so it's at least that simple. It's this picture of a drowning man that's drowning and that's flailing around in the water desperately trying to stay afloat and a flotation device is offered to him, or someone reaches out their hand and they desperately reach for that hand, that's the kind of desperation we're talking about for the Lord. And so Jesus says, if this is you, the kingdom of heaven is yours because in order to be saved, you must acknowledge that you need saving. You must acknowledge that. The hand must go up. God, I need you. I am spiritually bankrupt. Let's move on. Number two is this, a delight in your deep grief over sin because God will comfort you. I'll give you a chance to write that one down. Jesus is teaching us to delight in our deep grief over sin. So we talked about the spiritual bankruptcy. God, this is my starting place. I have nothing to give you. Book of Isaiah, all all I have in and of myself is filthy rags outside of you. Like I try my best and it's not good enough because only you are good enough. But we're gonna also delight in deep grief over sin. And this is taking the time. Friends, this is taking the time to mourn over our fallen condition. Again, this is upside down land. It's like, I thought you said this about being happy. This does not sound like if I'm going to be happy and blessed, I'm, I'm going to sit around and think about how sinful I am. That makes me not happy. But guys, are you seeing what I'm saying here? This is, this is the starting place for having a deep inner joy is just acknowledging before the Lord, I am sinful and I need your mercy and grace. And then also, Lord, it messes me up when things don't go according to your plan. When I see a sinful, fallen, and broken world with, uh, around me, and when I don't measure up, I actually, it, it really gets to me. It actually bothers me when I disappoint the Lord. And let me just ask you a question. When you, um, when, when you sin, does it bother you at all? It, it, should, it should bother us. We should take time. Parents, you've, you've done this. You've sent your kids to time out, right? They, they mess up. They don't obey the rule. You send them to timeout, and we say these words. Ready? Go think about what you've done. And they're supposed to <laughs> sit there and timeout and think about what they've done. It doesn't always happen. Sometimes they find something you know, drawn on the wall and playing drums in their lap or whatever. But ideally, they're sitting there, and they're pondering. They're really thinking about, man, you know what? gosh, I shouldn't have kicked my brother or sister. Man, I shouldn't, have, I shouldn't have said that word. Man, I should have talked more respectfully to my mother or to my grandma or whoever it is um, that, that was disrespected or sinned against. This is, number two, delighting in our deep grief over sin is like our timeout. This is like our time. And it isn't because God's so mean that he sends us the time. It's not that. Parents, you know this. You send your kids to time out. Why? To restore them. So that, so that they'll realize the things they need to realize and they'll come back and go, you know what, man, this, this was kind of messed up, wasn't it? I want to do the right thing. So we express a biblical grief over our sin and guess what the result will be, friends? This, this is the good news. God will comfort you. A loving parent doesn't say, go to timeout and then leave them there for three hours and forget about them and go to the grocery store. That's not the Lord. He comes and gets you out of timeout. He restores you, says, hey, Did we see what we did wrong there? Hey, I love you. It's gonna be okay. We're gonna have a fresh start. We're gonna have a brand new start. This is what God does. So, verse four. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. I always thought this verse... For most of my life, I always thought this verse was just about like mourning over someone that has died, or like mourning over um, you know something like September Eleventh happens, this like global tragedy and things like that. But it's not what Jesus is talking about here at all. Now, now does that mean God doesn't comfort us in, in our mourning over those things? No, He will comfort you. But in context here, Jesus is talking about a brokenness over sin, and so let's rightly understand this. Let's 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 embrace the spiritual discipline of a word called contrition. Contrition means that we are sorry for our sin and we're going to get to what God does about that sin. We're going to talk about his restoration but just know that the Bible says that weeping may last through the night but the joy comes in the morning. It means that even though things are messed up right now, even though things got off track, God is obsessed with restoration. He will give us a fresh start because he loves us. All right, so know that this morning. Number three, ready? We're going to delight in this. Delight in your dependence on and in your submission to God. We're going to delight in our dependence on and in your submission to God. And so we're talking about being humble, but there's this word in the Bible, and we sang it in the song a few minutes ago. There's this word, meek. Everybody say meek. Meek, you've, you've heard this word before, right? And we, te- we, we tend to think that meek is weak, that it, that, it, that it means you're kind of puny, but that's not what it means at all. In fact, G- when Jesus says, blessed are the meek, this, this Greek word pros, uh, it's, it's tough to it, encapsulate with one English word. A lot of Greek and Hebrew words are like this. It has the idea of a proper balance between anger and indifference. Let me say that one more time. Indifference is like you don't care. So think about like anger and then you don't care over here. And it's like this balance in between. You know what meekness is? It means it's strength under control. It's this picture right here. I want to just put a picture up real quick. Um, And and we think these these, uh, animals are really cute, right? This is a really cute gorilla. But do you know how strong a gorilla is? Like I don't have the stats, but let me just give you a very scientific um, uh, statement here. They're strong, okay? (laughs) They're very strong. You can Google that right now if you want to. Um, In fact, I do know this through nerding out on a lot of Nat Geo documentaries about gorillas. That um, that their bite force is among the strongest of any animal on Earth. Their bite force is insane. And what gorillas learn to do? Do you see what's in his hand? He's got a stick. Do you know how easy it would be for him to snap that stick, and what gorillas do is they take these tiny sticks and they use them as tools gorillas can 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 do work I mean they can carve things just like just like we can um, and it's it's amazing to watch because this animal could i mean pretty much do anything it wanted to do it's so strong, hundreds of pounds of bite force and could just i mean literally just take almost any animal in the wild and just tear it in half. I mean, just like such a strong animal and you see them in a lot of the time. They're so calm. This is strength under control. This is the word humble that you see in your Bible. It means you have the strength of God inside of you. This isn't a physical strength. This is a spiritual strength. Jesus is always getting to the spiritual. He says, being meek, being humble is having a great strength inside, but having it under control. And there's a lot to be said about self control in the Bible. And so if we, are, if we are meek before God, if we're humble, we submit to his will. Like Evan was saying, it's not about what I want. It's about what God wants. And then I'm going to also, I'm going to look at your Bible, Lord. And when this disagrees with what I'm doing, when I read something here and I go, man, I don't, I don't really do that. I'm going to adjust my life. I'm going to conform to your word. What, what our culture does nowadays when, when the Bible comes forth is it goes, no, actually the, 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 the words here need to conform to what the culture says is right. Because culture gets to decide and then this has to follow that. And it's completely backwards. Jesus says, no, 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 no. If you're humble, if you're meek, this is conforming to the word of God. And what does he say? Blessed are the humble for they will inherit the earth. What in the world is that about? Well, this is a future promise. They will inherit the earth the earth the bible is full of promises that are fulfilled now but not yet so there's a manifestation of this now what this means if you're going to inherit the earth what is what is an inheritance it's given it's a, it, it's a, it's a parent giving giving good things to their children once it's it's something that someone else paid for as a gift and given to someone who didn't earn or deserve it that's basically what what an inheritance is and this is what god does for us this is salvation friends but they will inherit the earth. Well, friends, God created the earth. He spoke into existence. He said, let there be light. Let there be, Remember the first parts of Genesis that we've been reading through and foundations and different things like that? And he says, let there be lists, let, let there be that. And then they will inherit the earth. There's this verse in the Bible, I wanna put it up on there. It's, uh, it's Romans eight seventeen, And this is a great verse. It talks about the fact that if we're children of God, let's read this together. Now, if we're children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if we indeed share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. This is where Jesus is getting at. He says, hey, when you are a child of the one true king, when you are a Christian, you are a co-heir with Christ. Everything that Christ gets and his privileges and all that, there's a future in heaven, and in the new earth, in the new heaven, that Revelation talks a lot about that. We don't have time to get into all that today. But there's great stuff in the future that Jesus is Lord over, and you get that benefit alongside him. You are co-heirs. Romans even goes on to say that we're more than conquerors through Christ. It means that because Jesus was victorious, we are also victorious as well. And so, blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Let's, let's, let's move on. And let's write this down this morning. Delight in your longing for God and see God satisfy you in him. This is a longing for God. This is, friends, we, we feel this through hunger, don't we? Let's read verse six together. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled the hunger and thirst for righteousness. Let's put that phrase back up there so people can finish writing that down. And I just want to, guys, hunger. Hunger really messes me up. It really does. Any anybody else get hangry out there? Come on now. Yeah. If if we're all honest, it's like man, when I'm when I'm hungry, when I'm I know some people it's more of the thirst that affects you, man. If I'm thirsty, if I'm parched, if I need some water, I'm gonna get a little grumpy. All right. For some of us, if we hadn't had our coffee, you know, we get a little, we get a little cranky. Okay. This is. It affects our bodies in a very powerful way. And again, Jesus is hitting on the spiritual truth with your longing for God. And Jesus is talking about delighting, being blessed in the fact that you long for the things of God, that you have a hunger for a righteous nature. You have a hunger to be holy like God. Sometimes we see being holy and pure and things like that and following God's word. It's a bunch of have-tos. It's a bunch of holy have-tos. Oh, okay, man, I got to do this. I got to do that. No, no, no. Instead of got to, it's get to. Oh, man, I get to do this. Okay, cool. Yeah, I see, I see why, God, why God gave us that, that rule that law, that commandment, I see what he's saying here. Okay, great. I'm going to do my best. I've, man, I get to live this. Man, I get to do this. It's because we've been saved, we live this out. It's not a, oh man, I guess I got to do that kind of thing. So he says, if you want to be blessed, if you want to have a delightful joy, then find happiness in hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Maybe a prayer that could just flow out of this in a in a response, or even during our response time in a moment, is God, fill me with a hunger and thirst for righteousness. The book of Psalms has has a verse that says, I think it's Psalm forty two. It says, uh, like like a deer that pants for water, my soul thirsts for the living God. I believe it's Psalm forty two three. If I'm just, uh, I might have uh, missed that, but. Um, Somebody correct me later if I'm wrong, but, uh, but we thirst to be sanctified, to be made more holy. God, make, make me more like Christ. We hunger to continue in God's righteousness. God, I'm not, I'm not just going to try today. Like, I'm going to keep on. And if I fail, I'm going to fail forward. And I'm going to trust you in, in your grace, God. And we thirst for this longing to see God's righteousness push forward into the world. That's that word mission we talk about. God, help me to advance your mission. In this world. All right, so what else are we delighting in? Well, let's delight in this too, the fifth one today. Delighting in graciously helping others. Man, this one is so simple and so yet so challenging to <laughs> embrace. Delight in graciously helping others, knowing that God will graciously help you. And verse 7 says this, ready? Blessed are the what? Merciful. Let's read that one more time. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Jesus says this in other places. He says, Hey if you forgive others, or you should forgive others because you've already been forgiven by God. And here's the simple truth of this, that those who show mercy realized how, have, have accurately realized how much mercy they have been shown. It's this feeling of, man, someone wronged me, but like, how could I not show them mercy and forgiveness when God has forgiven me of so much? It's a deep realization of, of how much you yourself have been Forgiven, Mercy is a grace that flows out of the four previous beatitudes. Follow, follow me here. If, if a person knows, God, I'm spiritual bankrupt. I'm grieving over my spiritual condition. I'm submitted to following your will and not my own. And I long to be pure in heart for, the, for this righteousness. Then I'm going to show mercy to the poor and needy, physically or spiritually, poor and needy. Because guess what? I'm poor and needy. How can I not show mercy to you? Man, I also need God. Man, I also need mercy and forgiveness. Man, I also make mistakes. I get it. Hey, you were, you were uh, sassy with me and didn't talk to me respectfully. Man, I've done that to other people. I, I get it, man, it's hard. Hey, you know what? Water under the bridge. I forgive you. Let's move forward together. But that requires a humility that is really only found in the kingdom life. And so I'm encouraging us together. I'm challenging us together today. Let's delight in showing mercy did you know the Bible says that about God? That God, God doesn't begrudgingly show mercy. He delights in showing mercy. And the Bible even says in another place, mercy triumphs over judgment. And so we serve a merciful God. We cannot separate mercy and forgiveness. Mercy comes from mercy. And mercy begets mercy. The more you show mercy, guess what? It gets easier to show mercy the next time. It's like a big boulder that rolls down a hill. You get momentum with it. Okay, And if you're finding it hard to do that right now, Um, it's okay. It's hard. It's hard for everybody. I don't, I don't know that this is easy for any of us in the room, but it is always worth it. It is always worth it. And you will experience true peace through showing others mercy. Mercy comes from mercy. We get the power to show the mercy from the real feeling in our heart that we owe everything we are to God. And we get to show this divine mercy. All right, let's move on. We're not going to just delight in mercy. We're going to delight. See, these are more, Jesus is making a turn. The first four are like, man, we got to really think about sin. We've got to really think about our spiritual bankruptcy. They're more in the negative sense, okay? These are more in the positive sense now. Number six, we're going to delight in a clean and pure heart. For you will enjoy an eternal fellowship with God. Can I ask you a question today? It's a real, real simple question. Do you do you really think that your heart is pure and clean? And we mean pure and clean by like, it's holy. It's not, it's not filled with sin and all sorts of yucky things like that, but it's pure and clean. If I had a feeling, if it were just to kind of poll everybody in the room, I think most of us would say, Man, I got, a, I got a sense that it's not, that I'm really wrestling with a lot of stuff and I'm right there with you. But let me explain to you what Jesus is saying here. Let's just read the verse in verse eight. Blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. Let me explain this gospel truth for us today because what Jesus is not saying is blessed are those who are holier than everybody else for they're gonna see God. Blessed are the perfect. But that's not what he's saying. Nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect. Here's what the pure in heart means. Have you ever tried to clean your driveway before? Okay, so like you go out, you 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 might pick up the stuff, but then there's like this whole concrete deal, right? And it's got oil from your car and just gunk and whatever else, it gets real dirty, right? And what I know to be true, I know that if I took the best uh, steel wool sponge or, or, or the best um, you know, brand sponge out there, if I spent $20 on like, the best sponge that I could find with the scrubby scrubs on there and I got on my hands and knees and I just went out there and I just really got on, oh man, I just scrubbed that driveway as hard as I could and tried to get every little grain of dirt off. Is that going to be very effective? No. Yeah. We need a power bigger than ourselves outside of ourselves to accurately clean that driveway. Our our hearts are the same way. We can't clean ourselves up. The message of Christianity, please don't miss this today, okay? The message of Christianity is not clean yourself up and that's how you get into the kingdom. That's how you get into heaven. Clean yourself up and then come to church. Clean yourself up and then read the Bible. Clean yourself up and then pray. No, 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 no. It's allow God to clean your heart. And we do that by faith, friends. We do that by faith. We say, Jesus, make my heart clean. You can pray that today. During, during the response time we're about to have, you can say, Jesus, I want a clean and pure heart. Will you forgive me of my sin and power wash my soul? Will you power wash my heart and make me clean? And you know what happens from that point on? You're forgiven of your sin. You are brought into the kingdom family. You are saved. And even though we still struggle and wrestle with sin, you still have a clean and pure heart. This is talking about those that have been saved by God's grace. This isn't a repeat job, friends. Your driveway is gonna get dirty again and again and again. It's gonna to need to be power washed again and again and again, maybe once a year, twice a year, every three years, whatever your pattern is. But salvation's not that way. Once Jesus comes in and power washes your soul, you are pure and clean in his sight. Forever. You are saved. Your sin is cast as far as east is from west. It's the best news in the whole entire world because every other false religion will teach you. You have to work for God's grace and favor, but that's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's that He comes in, He power washes your soul, and it is now and forever pure and clean in the eyes of God Almighty. Because he, when, when, when He looks at your heart, don't miss this, He sees Jesus. He sees Christ's perfection, He sees Jesus' perfection and not yours. And that's why what Jesus did on the cross is so amazing. Because when he did it, he said, it is finished. The work is finished. And so, delight in a clean and pure heart. Yes, we're still going to wrestle with sin sometimes. But it doesn't affect your salvation. That affects your sanctification. And we'll, we'll, we'll spend a whole sermon on that one Sunday. Because sanctification is when we're made more and more like Jesus little by little every day. We're forgiven of the penalty of sin. But the presence of sin is still in our life, and God, through his Holy Spirit, is making us more and more like him. So blessed are the pure in heart. Here we go. For they will see God. They will see God. Man, that's good news. He gives us a clean and pure heart if we put our faith in him. If you seek him with all of your heart, you will find him. Let's let's delight in this, too. Ready? Let's write this down as we tackle these last ones really quick. We're going to delight in being a peacemaker. A peacemaker, because it gives evidence that you are a child of the God of peace. Here's another verse that I really misunderstood for a long time, and I, and I hope we can just bring clarity to it today. Ready? Here we go. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God, and that includes. Sometimes when the Bible uses male language, this is including It says mankind is talking about humankind. Sons of God. This is children of God, okay? So, blessed are the peacemakers. What is a peacemaker? Well, for a long time, I thought this is just talking about people who are really nice and, and agreeable, okay? If you're, if you're a peacemaker, like, man, can't we just all get along? Come on. Why, is, why you guys got to be arguing in the comment section on Facebook or Instagram? Why do you, you know, why is, what, what's up with all this drama, man? Can't we, can't we just all get along? That's not primarily what Jesus is talking about here. Let me make this really clear. And it flows. It it makes sense when you think about the context of what he said so far and you follow his argument. We get here. The peacemaker is someone that is engaged on the mission of God and that brings people back to God to have peace with him. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers in this world. Who are the peacemakers? People who are trying to help Jesus. People who are trying to help people have an anchor for their soul. And that's why it's the vision of our church that, that everyone needs an anchor and that we hope that Jesus will be everyone's anchor at some point in their life. They'll put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And when we are peacemakers, we're trying to bring people back who are not at peace with God. No, 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 no. You can have peace with God through Jesus Christ. Well, what do I have to do? It's not anything you have to do. It's, 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 it's from your heart. You just have to put your faith in Jesus and what he did on the cross and that he rose again from the grave And put your faith in that that's true, but also that that applies to you. And receive his mercy and forgiveness. And we live, guys, we live in a world that desperately needs to hear that message. And any one of us in the room can deliver that message. It's good news. In fact, it's not just good news. It's the best news. It's the best news. False gospels are not good news. They say, no, you you have to do such and such and all, all this. And you have to do this. And then, and then you'll earn heaven and then you'll do no no no. Jesus Jesus did it for you put your faith and trust in him and it's not cheap grace Jesus gave his life this is the son of God hanging on a cross for every one of us in the room it's not cheap grace but he changes your heart he power washes your soul he gives you a fresh start and you are born again as the bible says you were born you are a new creation you're changed so peacemakers embody a restorative heart They're obsessed with restoration, uniting people back to God. And yes, in relationships. Romans 4.19, let's just throw this verse up here real quick. So then, this is a great verse for us to apply this week. Let us pursue what promotes peace and what builds up one another. Here's what this verse looks like. If it doesn't build somebody up, it doesn't leave my mouth. If it's not edifying, it doesn't come out. I call it the Holy Spirit filter. Sometimes I'm like, Lord, help me. Because this is about to come out, and what's about to come out is actually meant to tear them down. And what I need to do, is no, if it's not meant to edify, to build up someone, then I'm not gonna say it. Then I'm not gonna do it. So, peacemakers, restorative heart. In evangelism, yes, by getting the gospel out, but also relationally with those around us. All right, here's the last one, friends. Here's the last one. And this, one, this one's the most counterintuitive of all of them. Ready? We're going to delight in the inevitable persecution. Persecution's inevitable. It's going to happen. People are going to mistreat you. Because you will receive a great reward and you are in good company. And let's just read through these last few verses together. Blessed are those, here we go. Blessed are those who are persecuted, here's the key, because of righteousness. Some people are persecuted, but it's honestly, it's because they're a jerk. Like that's that's why i People are persecuting them because they're not not building one another up. They're tearing people down. That's not what we're talking about. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Now you are blessed, verse 11, when they insult you. You're blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven, for that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. All right, guys, so let's land the plane. How can Jesus make a statement like this? Blessed are those who are persecuted. Wow, okay, this is probably the most challenging one, right? Here's what he says. The world took the most excellent, perfect example of any of what we've talked about this morning. Any any of the attitudes we're supposed to have, any of the commandments, took the perfect example. The world took the perfect example of morality, the fulfillment of all of God's law. And what did they do with him? They put him on a cross. They treated him like a criminal. They put him to death. And Jesus says, if you follow me, you might not be literally put on a cross, but people are not going to like what you're doing because we live in a world where people's hearts are sick and they need to be healed, spiritually speaking. They need to be healed by Jesus. They, their souls need to be power washed, as we were talking about earlier. And if you follow after Jesus, if you, if you follow after him, there's this delight in persecution that happens, not because the persecution's so great, but because you're identifying with Jesus. You're like, hey, it happened to him. He promised it would happen. And then he said not only that, but what did, what did he say after that? Your reward in heaven is great. It means that God is watching. He doesn't miss a thing. And we will be rewarded for our faithfulness in this life. There are heavenly rewards waiting for us. We don't know what they are. I'm glad we don't know what they are. We'd probably obsess over them or, or make too much of the reward. It's probably a reason why we don't know. But you know what the best part about heaven is, friends? The best part about heaven? People ask, all, you know, like, what are we, we going to do in heaven? Like, What's, you know, what are we going to do for forever? You know the best part about heaven? It's God, it's Him, face to face. Yes, we have his word here. Yes, Jesus dwelt the earth 2,000 years ago. He died and rose again. Like we have that testimony. But you will see Jesus face to face. You will worship God at his throne. And it will be glorious. It will be amazing. The reward will be him. And here's the deal. Jesus says you're blessed in this life when you experience rejection. Let me promise you something. If you follow Jesus... You will lose a relationship or five. Not everyone will be happy about what you're doing. In fact, when I gave my life to Christ, almost immediately after, the guy that I would probably consider at the time as someone that was my best friend, and I was living in Kentucky at the time, I didn't know that many people there, um, immediately after was like, Yeah, if, yeah, if you're gonna do that, then I can't be your friend. Strangest thing, I'd never really lost any friend. I'd never had a problem with the whole friend thing before. And then the second I started following Jesus, it was just like, Yeah. Yeah, that yeah, religious stuff just isn't for me. But you know what God did after that? He gave me He gave me a community. He gave me a Christian community of people who are also following Jesus. And he, he gave me some real friends. And for every persecution, every rejection we experience, guys, there's a reward later. And I want to just, um, I want to invite you to something this morning. I want to invite you to something. As we close, and as we respond, and as we sing, Let's lean into the kingdom life. Let's lean into these passages, this kingdom-centered life. It's a kingdom that's not about Brandon's kingdom, that's not about your kingdom or my kingdom. This is about God's kingdom. God's got a plan for your life. He really does. And he wants you to live in his rulership and, and, and dominion, and he wants you to glorify him with everything that you have in your life. And he's got a, again, he's got a great and mighty plan. And we're blessed when we lean into that, when we desire God. And so let's just stand to our feet at this time. And I just want to lead us in a time of response. Uh, we're going to have a, have a time of response through music here. And I just want to encourage you to, to stand and sing and even maybe even just take some time to pray. If you don't want to sing out loud, you just want to bow your head and pray or just read the words and think about them. Remember, there's something you heard in the sermon today that just really got your attention. And you just want to say something to God. You want to ask him to speak to you during this time. Do it. Lean into it. I don't know what your response is, but I want to encourage you to respond. Everyone's got a next step. Everyone's got something that God's saying to you right now. And I'm going to pray that God would make that really clear to you. Maybe maybe his words to you right now are, "Come, come and follow me. You need to start a relationship with Jesus. You need to give your life to Christ this morning. Or maybe it's, hey, that one thing during the sermon that really got your attention, maybe maybe we've had it upside down and backwards. And we need to rethink that. We need to repent of some sin this morning and just get, get back on track. Maybe your prayer is, God, re- recalibrate my heart to what your word says and not just what I think and not what this talk show or this blog says or this Insta influencer says. God, help me value what your word says. Let's pray together. God, I pray for every person in this room. You promise that we'll be filled. You promise that you will fill us up with with you. It's not money. It's not material things. Yes, Lord, sometimes you bless us with those things. And I think we all have those things that we're thankful for that are material. But what you're talking about here is a filling of your spirit, a filling of joy, peace, the fruits that your spirit brings. And so God, I pray for every life, every heart in the room that you would draw us all closer to you and help us live for your kingdom and not our own. This in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit anchorchurchcsra.com or follow us on social media at anchorchurchcsra.